Uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Genesis. Um, well, initially we are, and then we're going to be flipping to the New Testament. But uh, we're going to be starting at Genesis 21. So if you have a Bible, you might want to turn to Genesis chapter 21. Um, if you don't and would like to borrow a Bible, feel free to raise your hand and one will uh, be lent to you. One will be delivered to you. The words will also appear on the screen behind me uh, of the major passages that we are going to be looking at. So a number of options there. Over the last few months, we've been looking at uh, the life of Abraham as I've been preaching. And uh, we've uh, got to the point where actually... The child of promise is finally born. After many, many years, um, Abraham and Sarah had a child, Isaac. And we're going to be looking at that right now and, uh, and following on from there. So Genesis 21, we'll read from verse 1. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he'd promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave him the name Isaac to his son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God's brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who'd have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar, the Egyptian, had borne to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, get rid of the slave woman and her son, for that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance in my son Isaac. The matter greatly distressed Abraham because it concerned his son. But God said to him, do not be distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also, because he is your offspring. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and she went off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered into the desert of Beersheba. Okay, so God has done what he promised he would do. Uh, Sarah finally gives birth to the child, Isaac, much joy, much celebration, much happiness. And uh, Sarah can't believe it. And last time we looked at the whole joy that Sarah had over the birth of her son. Uh, and then we look into this next little section here, starting in verse 8. And it said, uh, Isaac grew up and he was uh, weaned at around about, um, well, he said when he was weaned, he, Abraham held a great big feast. Weaning is where, if um, if you if you're not a, a, have a, been a mother and you don't know what weaning is, weaning is where um, the child stops uh, taking breast milk and starts eating more solid food. And uh, Isaac would have probably been about three years old when that happens. Uh, the time of weaning is different all over the world. I think we have it very early here, as far as I'm aware. But uh, some some countries, it's five, six, seven years old. Uh, that children are weaned. Isaac would have probably been about three when he was weaned. And until that point, and some, some mother's wincing here, <laughs> seven years old. Um, <laughs> but uh, Isaac would have probably been about three. Until that time, there would have been some concern, you know, is he going to live or not? Children would have been very vulnerable at a very early age. And so there would often be a celebration or a feast uh, at the time when a child was weaned. And that was the same for for Abraham and Isaac and Sarah. 
And uh, so there we go. Now, Abraham's other son, Ishmael, was born to Hagar. Uh, that was 17 years earlier, if, if Isaac was three. Um, Ishmael would have been about 17 years old at this story. And uh, he's been born to Hagar. That's a relationship that has happened that shouldn't really have happened. That was Sarah's idea. Uh, she thought that was the way to get a child. And she was, she'd originally planned to take Hagar's child, Ishmael, and have him as their child. Um, she'd kind of got grown a bit impatient for God to fulfill his promise. Uh, so Abraham did sleep with Hagar. Uh, they did have a child. Uh, it all went a bit pear-shaped, but eventually God restored the situation, and uh, Ishmael had been brought up by Abraham, and also by Hagar as well. Sarah didn't bring up um, Ishmael. And so there was some real resentment, some real bitterness going on here. Sarah's ideas totally backfired on her. She really isn't uh, happy about the situation. She's got this, this boy growing up who is Abraham's son. It's not her son. And for 17 years, he's been there. So now Sarah's given birth herself. And uh, they're celebrating the birth of Isaac. But Ishmael himself is going to be feeling a little bit put out. He's, he's been the only son for a while. He's thought well, maybe he was going to be the inheritor of, uh, of the blessing of Abraham's promises. In fact, Abraham wanted that himself. Abraham said to God at one point, well, can't, can't Ishmael come into this? He'd got to the point of thinking, come on, it, it, can't it happen through Ishmael? But that was never God's plan. But maybe Ishmael's understood that. So he's, he's not happy. There's this big celebration going on for Isaac. But he's probably feeling a bit jealous, a bit resentful. And he starts mocking um, Isaac. He starts persecuting Isaac, it says elsewhere in the Bible, as we will see. Um, he's now not going to be the one receiving the inheritance. And that really gets Sarah's back up even more. She's already carrying this resentment around about this son, this, this, this lad who's 17 years old. He's nearly, a, uh, you know, technically is a man. And uh, she, she really doesn't like it. And she gets furious when she sees this mocking going on. And so she says, get rid of him. Get rid of him. And, and, and that slave woman, he doesn't, she doesn't even call her by her name. That slave woman. She's not responding in the most gracious of ways. But, but there's stuff going on in her. And uh, once again, we see Abraham and Sarah. They're not, they're not perfect people. They're not superheroes of the faith. They don't respond in a godly manner the whole time. In all their attitudes. And that's not really what it's about, as we'll see later on today. But she's not happy. Now, Abraham, he's distressed. Because he's got this son who he's had for 17 years. And that's his only son. And he's been bringing him up. And he's proud of him. And he loves him. And then his wife is saying, you've got to get rid of him. This is your son. I'm your wife. This is your, this little lad here. He's the one who's going to come into the promises. Get rid of that one. Abraham's like, but, but he's my son. And, you know, it's difficult. It's difficult. And he's distressed. It says the matter greatly distressed him. It concerns his son. But God speaks to Abraham. And God says, look, don't be so distressed. He says, that Ishmael, I will bless Ishmael because Ishmael is your son as well. So I will bless him. I will make him into a great nation. But he's not the child of the promise. And he says to, to Abraham in, uh, in verse 
12. Do not be distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you. She may not have got the right attitude about this, but listen, it's because it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. God is reassuring and and repeating to Abraham, it's through Isaac. He's the one. He's the one. He's the one who's going to inherit these things. It's his descendants that are important. Yes, I'll bless Ishmael. And actually, if we'd have read through to the end of this little passage, we'll see that Ishmael is blessed. God does care for Hagar and Ishmael. It looks like he's going to die later on in this passage. But God sees him. He hears his cry. He, he, he miraculously provides a well and some water. And he looks after him. And, he's, and it says God's with the boy as he grows up. God's hand is on Ishmael. But Isaac is the child of promise. And so Abraham sends Ishmael and Hagar away. And that is the end of their time with Abraham. So that's the story. All very well. And uh, we might be thinking, okay, yeah, well, there we go. That's a short message. Um, <laughs> what, what relevance does that have for us today? It seems a little bit weird. How does that, how does that fit in with with our life as, as Christians here in the, in the 21st century. Well, often it's easy to look at the Old Testament. The, the, we can look at Old Testament passages and, and preach them. And the kind of thing we can slip into doing when we're preachers is we can just say, well, look, here's a good guy. Here's a good guy in the Old Testament. David, King David, yeah. He was a man after God's own heart. Be a man after, or a woman after God's own heart. And we can just look at characters in the Bible and say, well, be like them. Or characters in the Bible and say, well, don't be like them. Well, there's, Abraham and Sarah, they're not, there's something that we can model ourselves on, but, but not a lot in this passage because, you know, they're not the heroes of this story. And, and what we often need to do in the Old Testament is think, well, where does Jesus appear in this story? Where do we see what God is doing in this story? Where do we see Jesus? Because we can see Jesus through the whole of the Bible. It's not as though we suddenly get to the New Testament and God starts talking about Jesus. Jesus is foreshadowed. He comes into the Old Testament. We can see things in the Old Testament that are about Jesus and are very relevant to us. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at a passage in the New Testament and helps us with this passage, with understanding this passage. Because Paul mentions this very story, this this passage in the New Testament. And he mentions it in the book of Galatians. So you might want to turn to the book of Galatians now. Because now you've got the context of the story. This is pretty much where we're, where we're going to look at today. Galatians chapter 4. And uh, we're going to look at verse 21 uh, to, to the end of the chapter. But uh, this comes in the middle of a letter that Paul, the apostle, is writing to the Galatian church. And uh, the issue is that the Galatians have been deceived by some false teachers. They've been deceived uh, by these teachers who said, look, your salvation, once you've been saved, it's down to what you do. It's down to whether you obey the Jewish law. And, and maybe even in particular whether you should get circumcised or not. So you've come into God's family through Jesus But now you're in God's family, you need to obey the Jewish law. That's what these teachers are saying. And Paul is saying, that is no gospel at all. That is a perversion of the gospel. So that's the setting as we come to this passage 
on Hagar and Sarah. Now he's referring to the same passage we've just read in Genesis. And he says this, verse 21. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it's written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman, that's Hagar, and the other by the free woman, that's Sarah. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of promise. These things, he says, may be taken figuratively. And then he gets a little confusing, but we'll try and follow it through. For the women represent two covenants. One covenant, this is the Hagar one, is from Mount Sinai uh, and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she's in slavery with her children. Mount Sinai is where Moses was, uh, received the law. So it's all about law and, uh, and, the, and the covenant that he has with Moses, God has with Moses. But the Jerusalem that's above, that's the heavenly city, heaven really, let's take that as, is free. And she is our mother. For it's written, be glad, O barren woman, who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud, you who have no labor pains. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. At the time, at that time, the son born in the ordinary way, Ishmael, persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit, Isaac. He mocked him. It's the same now. But what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son. For the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Okay. Right. This first little bit, and this you might just be thinking, okay, I'm getting confused now. Okay, so I'm going to try and help you through it, and then it, it will get a bit easier. So you've got to focus for, for about, you know, five minutes, ten minutes, thirty-five minutes. <laughs> Depends how quick on the uptake you are. <laughs> or how concise I am. Okay, this is what Paul is saying. This is what Paul's saying. He's saying that coming into the inheritance which God promises Abraham, all the promises that God promised Abraham, you know, I will bless all nations through you. Your children and descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the, uh, on the seashore. And you will come into a new land, which uh, Paul is pointing out is actually a heavenly land. Um, that inheritance doesn't depend on keeping the law. It doesn't depend on us doing right things. But what it comes about through is believing God and his promises like Abraham did. It's not about what we do. It's about believing God. And it's clear that Abraham couldn't, it couldn't have been about what he did. It wasn't about Abraham keeping the law because the law hadn't been given at the time. What Abraham did to be accepted by God was to keep believing his promises. That's what he's commended for all the way through the New Testament and in the Old Testament. That's what he did. He believed God. He believed that God was going to keep his promises and he acted accordingly. Now, a lot of Jewish Christians and a lot of Jews were arguing that they were okay with God because they had Abraham as their father. Jesus and John the Baptist kept coming up against that one as well. They, they kept saying, you know, you, you say that you're, you've got Abraham as your father, therefore you're okay. You're 
children of Abraham. You're descended from Abraham. Therefore, you must be children of the promise. That was the argument that they gave. And both Jesus and John the Baptist say, no, it's not about that. It's not about physically being descendants of Abraham. But some Christians believe that. Some Jewish Christians also were trying to persuade these non-Jewish Christians, Gentile Christians, that to be a son of or a daughter of Abraham, they had to start to keep the Jewish law. They said, okay, you might have been saved through Jesus. You might have come in in a different way. You were outside of the Jewish family, the Jewish people, and you got saved in in, in a different way through Jesus. But now you're in, now you're in God's family, you've got to become like a Jew. You've got to start to live like a Jew. You've got to get circumcised like a Jew. You've got to start to keep the Jewish laws. And so these Christians who didn't know anything about Jewish laws beforehand and circumcision or whatever, they're like, oh right, okay. So we've, now we're, now we're children of Abraham. This is what we've got to do. Oh, oh yeah, I suppose Abraham got circumcised. Oh, okay. And so they were starting to believe these things. They had to adopt the customs of God's people. It's a bit like people say, uh, some people say, when uh, people immigrate into Britain. And you'll get some views, often often this is people who say this will be a little bigoted and a little intolerant. Um, but they'll, they'll sometimes say, oh, right, okay. Well, if you're coming into this country now, if you're coming to live in Britain, maybe you weren't born in Britain, like 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 we were, but if you're coming to live in Britain now, and okay, you've got British citizenship, you need to start to to act like British people. You need to start to eat fish and chips uh, instead of the food that you would choose to eat. And you need to start to do these things and live in this way and chuck litter all over the floor and whatever it might be that, that is the British custom. But you've heard people say that, you know, you, you've got to be like one of us. And, and that's pretty much what these Jewish people were saying. That, that Paul was just saying, this is outrageous. This is outrageous. You need to become like us, they said. Maybe they've been saved through faith in Christ, but come and carry on and live as a Jew now. And, and people were being deceived because it kind of makes sense, that argument. You can see how they thought it might make sense. Now, for us, we're not going to be so bothered about that because we're a lot further down the line and there's not that many Jewish Christians about saying, come on, you need to, you need to get circumcised now. It still happens. Some people do say that, but most of us probably won't have heard us say that. But many people do still get into thinking that once they've become a Christian, then they have to keep being accepted by God by doing certain things. So they understand, okay, I've been saved by grace. It's not about what I do. I understand that. I understand it's about what Jesus did. It's not about what I do. But now I'm a Christian. Oh, Now I need to start doing certain things. Now I need to start living certain ways. Now I need to continue to be accepted by God by reading the Bible every day or praying every day 
coming to church meetings and, and prayer meetings and, and core group meetings. And, and I need to stop, uh, I need to take out my, my piercings that I've got because clearly no one else is doing that here and that's not right. And I need to start listening to the right sort of music. You know, I have to stop listening to this sort of music that I really like and I have to start listening to Chris Tomlin songs the whole time. Or Brent and Brown, if you're Dave Cutting. Um, or, uh, you know, and, 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 and stopping smoking or uh, stopping drinking or whatever it might be. And at different times, different Christian groups have, have said different things. Not going to the cinema, not going to the theatre, uh, not dancing, um, you know, not, not doing certain things on a Sunday. Um, all sorts of different rules and regulations that can kind of get dumped on a Christian, get dumped on a believer. And we can start to think, well, that makes sense. Well, that makes sense. Because it, it, it and, and some of these things are good things. You know, we're not saying it's not good to pray. We're not saying it's not good to read the Bible. Of course it's good to do those things. That gives us life. It feeds us. But it's when we start saying, well, now you must do this. Every morning, first thing you do every morning, you must read your Bible for half an hour every morning. And then you must pray for another half an hour every morning. If you don't do those things, God's not going to be that pleased with you. And we can start doing it with lots and lots of other things as well. And we can even take it on subconsciously. We don't even realize that we're doing it. If someone asked us, we'd say, oh, no, no, it's about Jesus. It's about what Jesus did. But in our day-to-day lives, we can start to take on this stuff. That God is pleased with us or displeased with us depending on how we are acting. Depending on the things that we do. Which is really only the same thing. Oh, now now I'm a Christian, I need to start acting like this. And I need to start making myself. And we don't allow God to change us. It's not about God changing us and he wants to change us and he does change us. It's about us thinking, oh, now I've got to start towing the line. Now I've got to start looking the part. And we end up just... Just looking the part and inside covering up all the stuff that's going on. Now, some of these things are good things to do. Really good things. And the Bible does command us to do certain things. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, do this. He does, he does say about a way to live, but it's as a response to God's grace on us. It is never about getting his favor. It's never about getting his favor. So that's the very issue that Paul's addressing. That's what it was about for the Jews. It was about circumcision and the Jewish law. For us, it's about do we earn God's favor by how well we perform as a Christian. And Paul's saying, okay, this is what he says. You say that Abraham is your father. But Abraham had two sons. He had Ishmael and he had Isaac. So which one are you descended from? And he's highlighting the difference between Ishmael and Isaac. And he asks two questions, really, or two things he points out. First of all, Abraham's your father, but who's your mother? Who's your mother? Ishmael was born by a slave woman, Hagar. Isaac was born by a free woman, Sarah. And he says, they're like two different ways of living, two covenants, the, the Mosaic Covenant, the Mosaic Law, um, where it's all about this is this is how you live your life, uh, and it's all about the city of Jerusalem, or it's about the New Jerusalem, the Covenant of Promise. 
about heaven on earth. So Paul's saying, who's your mother? Is it Hagar? Is our mother Hagar, the slave woman who represents the law? Are we trying to keep God's rules ourselves and impress him by how well we're doing, by how good a person we are? He says, if you are, you'll never succeed. You'll never do it. He says, you're slaves. Hagar was a slave. Trying to follow Hagar, being a child of Ishmael, was a slave. You're born as a slave. If we're children of Hagar, if we're following this way, the old uh, the covenant of law, the covenant of trying to impress God by doing these things, we're going to be slaves. We're going to think that we fail the whole time. We're going to be down on ourselves. We've heard, you know, from, from God this morning about people who think, I'm a loser. That's what we'll think. I'm a loser. Oh, I keep messing it up. I can't get it right. How's God going to love me? Even if we think we have got it right, if we think we're doing well, then we just get proud. And that's a sin anyway. And then we realize, oh, no, I'm proud. Oh, we're going to down about it. <laughs> and God hates pride. So we, we lose both ways. We're slaves. If we're going to try and make ourselves acceptable to God in any way, we'll never do it. We are slaves. Paul's saying, if that's what you're going to do, your, your mother's Hagar. Your father might be Abraham, but your mother's Hagar. But if our mother's Sarah, then we're free. She was a free woman. There's real joy and freedom in that relationship. She was, she was full of joy when she gave birth to to Isaac. Joy. The heavenly Jerusalem. So who's your mother? He's asking. And secondly, he's asking, how were you born? How were you born? Ishmael was born through Hagar in the ordinary way, the way that most people are born. Abraham went and he slept with Hagar. And she was young. She was still fertile. She conceived. She had a child. In a sense, it was through Abraham and Hagar's own doing. It was through their own efforts that they had that child. Isaac, though, was born as a result of the promise. Abraham and Sarah couldn't make it happen. Sarah was past her childbearing years. She was 90 years old. Her and Abraham's bodies were worn out by this point. The only way that Isaac could be born was through God's supernatural intervention and the keeping of his promise. So Ishmael was born as a result of human effort. Isaac was born as a result of God's intervention and miracles and keeping of his promise. And Paul's saying, if we're children of Sarah, with Abraham as our father, then it's all about God's doing. It's all about what God does in our life. Our inheritance comes about because God brought it about. We couldn't do anything about it ourselves. We recognize we, recognize we need God. We need God to intervene. We need God's power to live our life. We need God to change us. We need God to work through us. It's not about us. We needed a saviour. That's what he says to the Romans, isn't it? Paul says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 6. He says, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, we couldn't make anything happen. Christ died for the ungodly. Just at the right time, 
while we were still powerless. And, and that's what happened with Abraham and Sarah. Just at the right time, Isaac was born. While they were powerless, while they could do absolutely nothing about it. They couldn't make that child happen. And God intervened. And he intervened, actually, at a time when they weren't walking with him too well. You know, Sarah had the child just after they'd had the whole big thing of of going off and, you know, you're my sister and all that, going off with Abimelech. It was all a bit of a mess. And God intervenes and brings a child. He's not saying you're doing really well now, now you deserve it. They weren't. He's saying, you're still believing in me, so here's the result of the promise. That's the good news of the gospel. It's all God's doing. It's all about God's doing. From first to last. From when we become, get saved and when we recognize it till the end of our lives, it's always all about God's doing. It's not about us making something happen. It's not about our efforts. That's why we come here and we praise God and we worship God. Why are we worshiping God? Because it's about him. Because he does things that we can't do. Because he's so much greater than we are. Because he's intervened in our lives. Because he leads us on. Because he's worthy of our praise. And we recognize, oh God, we're so dependent on you. And God keeps pouring out more and more blessings on us. He gives us his Holy Spirit. He says, here, you you can't do it yourself, but have my Holy Spirit living within you. And now you can pray to me. And now you can act. And now you can do miracles. And you couldn't do any of that on your own. Because it's about me. And we say, oh God, we worship you. We love you. You're so amazing. You're so great. You're so awesome. You're so wonderful. Because it's not about us. Paul says to the Galatians at the start of his letter in Galatians 1. He says in verse 6, I'm astonished. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ, and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. He says, you've embraced the gospel, the good news, and then so quickly, you're going back to it's it's about what you do. It's a different gospel, he says. And he said, in fact, it's not a gospel, because the word gospel means good news. And it's no gospel, he says. It's not good news. It's not good news for you. Why, Why have you quickly gone off? It's slavery. You're going back into slavery. You've been set free. And you're saying, thank you for setting me free, God. Now I'm going to go back and I'm going to try and live and, 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 and make it all right and make myself acceptable before God. Paul's saying, you've been set free and you're going back into slavery. Why? Why are you doing that? You know, we must make sure that we resist any temptation to start to think about our relationship with God in this way. Because it's about God's grace from first to last. It's never about trying to repay him. It's never about thinking, oh, God has done so much for me. Now I must start giving back to him. I'm going to give my whole of my rest of my life to paying God back for what he's done for me. We can't do that. It's arrogant to think we can. Acts chapter 17 and verse 25, Paul says when he's uh, in Athens, he says about God, verse 25, he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. 
Because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. God's not served by human hands. God doesn't need us. God doesn't need us to pay him back. He doesn't need us to, to, to repay what he's done. He doesn't need anything. He's God. And he gives us life and breath and everything else. Everything is coming from God. What arrogance to think that we can start to pay him back. What arrogance to think that it's, that's what is going to be his favor upon us. He sacrificed his son so that we could know him, be in relationship with him. If he wanted us to just try and earn our relationship with him and earn our salvation, he wouldn't have done that. You know, if we look at the New Testament, what is the one thing that both Jesus and Paul got most angry about in the New Testament? Jesus and Paul got most angry about legalism. This very idea that keeping the law or being a good person is going to give us some sort of credit before God. They were furious about it. Jesus addressed the Pharisees about this because they were the ones who were saying this sort of thing. Uh, so, for example, we see in Matthew verse 20, chapter 23. In Matthew chapter 23, um, he says this to the Pharisees, in fact, to these disciples. He says, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Moses' seat, in other words, the law. And so you must obey them and do everything they tell you to do. But do not do what they do, for they don't practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders. But they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. He says these Pharisees who tell you, similar sort of thing, they tell you this is how you should live your life, this is what you need to do, keep this rule, keep that rule, do this, do that, don't do this on a Sabbath, don't do that, do this. He says they'll put a, a, it's like they put heavy loads and put them on people's shoulders. Here, have this. Dump it on. Oh, right. Oh, I thought we were in relationship with God now. But it doesn't feel too great. Because they've got these heavy loads on their shoulders. He says, and they sit there telling you what to do, and they don't lift a finger to help. And Jesus says, they don't even do it themselves. They don't live that way themselves. They're just dumping it on you. And they don't lift a finger. Well, that's what the Lord does. That's what trying to live in this way does. John Bunyan said this. This is, this is one of Jeremy Simpkins' favorite quotes. He said it a few times, I've heard him. But he, it's good. He says, <laughs> he says this, run, John Bunyan said, run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. The law will just say, do this, do that. Run here, run there, work this, work that. He says, but it doesn't give us any feet or hands to do it with. We're like, oh, I can't. How can I run there? I haven't got any feet. How can I do that and work like this? I haven't got any hands. The law doesn't give us that. The gospel says it's far better than that. You fly. Like the Red Bull advert, isn't it? You fly. It gives us wings. <laughs> the gospel bids us fly and gives us wings. So Jesus said this is, this is terrible. Paul was furious with these Judaizers the equivalent of the Pharisees. Because he says, they enslave people. Galatians 1 verse 8. He says this, even if we or an angel from heaven, even if an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, that it's all about Jesus, 
let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so I say again. Yeah, you've said it a second ago, Paul. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. In two verses, he says the same thing. Even if an angel is telling you this, don't believe them. Let them be eternally condemned. You'd think if an angel came in and said, well, I've got... Angel walked up to Dan, can I have the mic? I've just got something to bring from God. Okay, you're an angel, you can have it, yeah. Paul's saying, if an angel starts saying, this is how you need to live your life now, don't listen to them. Let them be eternally condemned. But they're an angel. No, it's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. He's furious with the Galatians for being taken in by it. Chapter 3, you foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus was clearly portrayed as crucified. I'd like you to learn just one. I'd like to learn one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit by obeying the law or believing what you've heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing? If it was really for nothing, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? He's saying it's because you believed what you heard. It's because you believed. It's not because you obeyed the law. It's not because you were good. It's not because you were a nice Christian, nice and moral. That's not what it's about. He says you're foolish. You've been bewitched. You've been deceived. He's strong with them. He goes on to say in chapter 5 verse 1, it's for freedom that Christ set us free. Stand firm then. Don't let yourself be burdened again. By a yoke of slavery. Don't let people dump this stuff on your shoulders. Don't believe them. Don't carry it. Don't feel you've got to be like that. And we can, we can look at passages like this and we can listen to these things and think, oh yeah, I suppose I do sometimes slip into thinking like that. Oh, I suppose we do. Yeah, we can do that, can't we? Oh well. And we can, we can see it as a kind of trivial thing. Oh, I suppose we ought to try a bit better. Yeah. I mean, that can become a burden as well. Oh, yeah, I don't get grace. Oh, I feel bad about that now. I don't even get grace. <laughs> Still trying to do it yourself. But we, we can think it's not a big deal. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. This is the biggest deal for Jesus. This is the biggest deal for Paul. Time and again, they write about it. I would say that the majority of pastoral issues that people face in the church, you know, when people come and, they, and, they, and they'll talk with myself or Dan or others, core group leaders, I'm really struggling with this. Do you know what it is at the root of most of them? The root of most of them is a lack of understanding about acceptance by God. People don't understand that they are fully accepted by God because of what Jesus did. Oh yeah, but I do this and I've done this. Doesn't matter. It's not about that. You're accepted by God. But surely God wants us to change. Yeah. God God doesn't just leave us where we are, but He does it in us. But but we're accepted by God. Whatever, we're accepted by God. What even if I do this, even if I don't even if I've not read my Bible for a year. Yeah. Even if you've not read your Bible for a year. Even if I've done yes. We're accepted by God. It's about what 
what God has done. And people, and, it, and it's at the root of all sort of these things. It's come out this morning about our identity. Who are we? This is what this passage is talking about, our identity. Are we children of Hagar or are we children of Sarah? Are we of the slave woman or are we of the free woman? Are we in slavery and bondage because we're under the law and legalism? Or are we free and accepted? And God says, and have these wings as well. You can fly. Go for it. We need to understand it. We need to be as strong about it as they are. We need to, we need to be as passionate as Paul and Jesus are. Because any way of thinking that we earn favor from God by what we do is an enemy of God's grace. Even an angel, let him be eternally condemned. It's an enemy. If we're children of the slave woman, we'll never inherit all that God's got for us. But if we're children of the free woman, Sarah, we will inherit everything that God has for us, both now and in the future. And we will totally be reliant on God. So just to finish, what would we expect? What do we expect if we just trust in the promises of God? Well, Paul says in this passage in Galatians 4, he says in verse 29, At that time, the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It's the same now. Okay, what's he saying? We'll be persecuted. Well, yeah, Ishmael persecuted. He mocked Isaac. And it's true, we may be mocked by others for our belief. We may have to accept that others will look at us and mock us and persecute us. But actually more than that, I believe what this is saying is we can entertain these thoughts in our minds which can make us discount who we are before God. We allow these thoughts. So Ishmael, Ishmael was voicing it to Isaac. We don't know exactly what he was saying. We can probably guess. Oh, you think you're so great, Isaac. Do you know what? I'm the firstborn. I'm Abraham's firstborn, you know. 17 years old now. He loves me. He's not. You think you're going to be something? You're not. He's speaking these lies to him. Because they're lies. Because Isaac was the child of promise. But Ishmael's speaking these lies and mocking him and persecuting him. And actually, legalism can do that. We can have these thoughts in our head. And sometimes people will verbalize it. Sometimes people will say it. You're not much of a Christian, are you? If you do that, you're right. No, I'm not. We can go away. We can believe it. Sometimes people say it. Sometimes we just think it. The enemy speaks these lies to us, these thoughts. Look at how you handled that situation. And what about that that you did? And what about the way that you spoke to her? Actually, it's not about the way you spoke to her. The way that Sarah spoke wasn't good. But she was still the free woman. It was still through her that the descendants would come. Oh, but you can't be, you can't be a real Christian. These lies, these thoughts coming to our head, they're mocking us. They're mocking the truth, actually. They're persecuting the truth. The same battle is going on. And Paul says, but what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son. Get rid of them. Deal with it. He said to Abraham, deal with it. If you're entertaining both here, if you, you cannot continue with Ishmael and Isaac in the same place. 
You can't continue with it. One's got to go. And Ishmael's got to go because Isaac is the child of promise. And we cannot live by thinking it's about grace on one hand and it's about what we do on the other. We can't do it. They can't live together. The thoughts about it's about what we do will start to mock grace. We'll start to say it's not about that really. It's about how you're behaving. It's about how you're living your life. If people only knew. If people only knew what you were like inside, you wouldn't be accepted by them and you're not accepted by God. And it's those lies that we get all the time. And Paul's saying, get rid of it. Do something about it. Don't believe it. Don't believe these people who are preaching it to you. Get rid of them. And actually, get rid of it in your mind. If, if you've got friends who live that way, if you've got friends who, who, who you just spend time with and, and you come away feeling rubbish about yourself, do you know what? Get rid of them. Get rid of them. Don't have them as friends. Don't spend time with people who will tell you things like that. Don't spend time with people who tell you lies. And you go away feeling, oh yeah, I am pretty rubbish after all, aren't I? Because it's an enemy of God's grace. And actually the internal thoughts, we need to feed ourselves on truth. No. What does God say? God doesn't say it's about that. Actually, God, God does say while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. From first to last, it's about Christ. It's about what he, God, God, God's not, God not served by human hands. As if he needed anything. Right, no, that's right, that's right. It's all about God. He gives us life and breath and everything else. Right, that's true. Yes, I'm going to believe that. We start to tell ourselves the truth. We start to remind ourselves the truth that it's about God's grace. We don't entertain that other way of thinking. We don't let it stick around to give us grief. We don't let it dump the heavy burdens on us. We deal with it. We get rid of it. We trust in the true gospel. We believe in God. And finally, the amazing news is that when we trust entirely in what God has done, if we're just believing God and in the acceptance and forgiveness that comes through the death and resurrection of Jesus, that Jesus took our sin and our punishment, he took it on him. He had all the burden dumped on him and he was punished for it. And then he rose to a new life. And we don't have to have that. We don't have to live in that way. And all we do is trust and we will inherit the promises. We'll inherit the same promises that Abraham had. Several thousand years after Abraham had lived, even though we're not physical descendants of Abraham, we're not in that physical line, we can be confident that we are coming into the promises of God that God gave Abraham because it's just based on belief in him and nothing else. And the promise isn't physical land now or the city of Jerusalem. It's about the new heavenly Jerusalem. Some Christians get hung up on the city of Jerusalem and the physical land. Paul's saying in this, it's about—it's not about that. That's Hagar. It's about the heavenly, the new Jerusalem. It's about the promise to come. And we will experience the grace of God in seeing him bring about miracles in our lives Things that we don't deserve. Things we could never achieve ourselves. We'll, and we'll worship God. And we'll want to worship God. We don't have to. No one's telling us. You have to come and worship God. Mm, okay. No, we know what God's done in us. And we'll say, oh God, you're amazing. We worship you. We're free. We've been set free. So, here we are. Descendants of Abraham. 
Who's our mother? Who's our mother? Who's your mother? Is it the slave woman, Hagar? Is it the free woman, Sarah? How were we born? Was it by our own efforts? Or was it by God's miraculous intervention? Let's deal with the lies. Let's kick them out once and for all. And embrace the truth. It's all about God. It's all about grace. It's all about mercy from first to last. And let's come into all God's got for us. Let's pray.